Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCall and I'm joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, this is the last podcast we're going to record before the NBA season kicks off. We can almost touch those real games, Max. And uh, somehow the Suns, we keep joking about it, keep managing to stay in the news. But I'm excited for this one. Yeah, they. Uh, I guess they fired their GM this week. I guess that's a big deal. We're not really going to talk about that very much, but that, that is a pretty big deal. It is, but it's kind of been done to death a little bit, and, and there's probably not nothing too new we can bring to that conversation. So I'm excited to get into some prediction time for, for this upcoming season, Max. Yeah, James Jones didn't add anything new to the conversation, so I'm not sure why we would. <laughs> yeah, so as David just mentioned, we're going to do our league-wide predictions in this episode. Super excited about that. All the awards, we're going to do the playoff seedings, conference finalists, champions, all that stuff. We love it. This is like my favorite thing to do, David. I am pumped. How about you? Yeah, and and as I'll touch on a couple of times this, you know, in my pre blog boy career we this was something we <laughs> focused on quite a bit so uh i had a lot of fun delving into this and i'm sure we'll have a lot of fun going back and forth on our predictions it's gonna be great the takes are coming but uh that's not all we're also gonna have part two of david's awesome interview with jack mccallum which has gotten just awesome reviews everyone's been really cool about it uh jack was so cool to be on the, the podcast we're, we're really excited about that yeah it, it was great to hear some feedback on that and and you know i was excited for everyone to to hear what i'd been sitting on for a little while there and uh sorry to break it up into two parts but there was there was so much good content there and uh yeah that will be around about the same time as as previous episode after we get the main chunk of the conversation done here max yep and then the second chunk after the jack interview is going to be an extended seven seconds or less segment all about the Suns. We're going to do sort of like the recent happenings of the Suns and some predictions about the Suns going forward. But David, let's not waste any more time. Let's go right into it. Let's go into our league predictions. Let's start with the big one, MVP. So the way we're going to go through all these awards and also the seedings, we're going to go reverse order, you know, build some suspense, build some drama. So we're going to start with our third uh, finisher for MVP. So David, who do you have finishing third for MVP this year? For third this year, I'm going to go with the reigning MVP, James Harden. Mm, interesting. Okay, so I think he's going to fall off a little bit. So is there anything you want to you know add to that? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm maybe hoping for a healthy CP3 season this year, which I think will take some votes off him. I think you know, as great as his season was last year, I think he had a lot of the narrative as well because of time away that uh, CP3 spent from the team so mm-hmm. people didn't uh, disadvantage him too much with with Paul joining the team last year and uh, yeah I think there's just a couple of guys that are going to maybe have bigger seasons than him Max but uh, I don't think it's any slight on on what I expect Harden to still do this year how about you 
Uh, I have LeBron James finishing third, the best player in the league. I think he's going to have a pretty good season. Uh, we'll get to that later. But I also just want to real quick say, I think Russell Westbrook's looming as a bit of a dark horse. I, I know that he already won it. I know that a lot of people regret their votes. But I, I just feel like, okay, he's going to be really good. We'll get into that. And I think he's going to get a lot of credit for sort of like, you know, altering his game a little bit to defer a little more to George and participating in the team concept. I mean, a lot of this flows with the fact that I think that he's going to be really good. Yeah, you've mentioned a couple of guys there that will probably come up uh, from me throughout this podcast, uh, one of them in the MVP votes and, and one of them definitely not. So should we move on to second place? Yeah, who's your second? I'm going to go Giannis. Okay. Uh, I think... He's got the narrative building. Milwaukee looked pretty good in the preseason under Bud. Uh, one thing I will note with these kind of MVPs, I, I noted at the top there, I've done a little bit of work on these in the past. and You kind of, in the last 10 to 12 years, you've you got you to gotta win at least 55 games and, and kind of be a fourth seed or above mm-hmm. to really gain votes. So that's a, a little bit of a worry with Giannis and a, a worry with my top pick as well, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, I think I can see Milwaukee being, you know, a home court first round team in the East and, you know, they should be pushing around that 55 win mark. So, uh, and it would be very much largely on the back of, of Giannis as their best player. So uh, I'm going to place him in second there. Who have you got? You'll see soon that I do not think that is crazy. But uh, <laughs> my second is Anthony Davis. Uh, been no secret on this podcast. I think the Pelicans are going to be very good. I think Anthony Davis is going to have a ridiculous season that looks a little more like the second half of last season without Cousins than mm-hmm. the first half. Yep. You know, just repeated performances where he's having 40 and 20. And I think I, I actually wavered back and forth between Davis and uh, my number one pick, who I've sort of already given away. I think it's going to be really close. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to remind me of kind of like the, the Westbrook Harden one from a couple years ago where it was like really close. People had an opinion on it. I think we're going to have that this year between uh, Anthony Davis and a certain Milwaukee Buck. <laughs> and I'm going to go for my number one pick, someone you've already mentioned. I'm actually going to go LeBron James. I can't believe you'd pick the best player in the league to be the most valuable player. That makes no sense. <laughs> I think it's funny that you mentioned that at the top of this little section here, Max, because he is the best player in the league, and maybe that is counted against him sometimes in this MVP voting. But I feel like this season, with the switch to the Lakers, you know, maybe rightly or wrongly, he's going to get a lot of that credit for Ingram making a jump, you know, ball making a jump, some of their role players looking better. Uh, it, it's all just going to come down to whether they can get that 55-win benchmark and, and a four-seed or higher for me, Max. If they can do that, I'm tipping that LeBron James will be the MVP of the league. Yeah, I think it's a really nice prediction sort of for the narrative reasons you're getting into. Like, it, It's hard for him to win before in Cleveland because it was sort of same old, same old. Yeah. But if he's awesome in the Lakers and they're awesome, it's going to be a, a you know rejuvenated thing and LeBron's going to be at the top of every sports-centered hour. So it makes a lot of sense to me. But I'm going Giannis. I think Coach Bud's going to unleash Giannis. Yeah, I think we've kind of seen it in the preseason already. Bud's kind of working his magic with that team, and we're seeing them turn a corner that, uh, you know, maybe we should have expected already out of the Bucks with the talent that's on the team. But, you know, everything runs through Giannis as much as they're going to share the ball, and he's going to be the face of that franchise. So, I mean, I'll throw it to you. What's your kind of win prediction for Milwaukee before, you know, we're going to do full East standings later down the track. But, you know, if we're following that 55-win benchmark, is that around where you've got Milwaukee for the season? 
Yeah, if not higher. I don't want to spoil things, but I think they're going to be among the best teams in the East and also among the best teams in the entire league record-wise. Well, that makes perfect sense then. If they're up there, then Giannis is definitely going to pull the votes for the MVP. And also, another thing about Giannis is he just gets better every single year, doesn't he? Like, you got to have the bet in the track record of he's going to take maybe just another leap. And he's still so young. Like, he's literally yeah. maybe just entering his prime right now. So we've seen him kind of on the fringes of MVP discussions in previous years and things. And, and the Bucks, you know, quite frankly, haven't been that good. So, you know, it, yep. it's a pretty solid pick in terms of, you know, a guy that... Uh, health permitting is going to be around that mark, I would imagine, Max. One last point I'll make, and then we'll move on to six man of the year. The other reason why I think Giannis is a good bet is people just freaking like the guy. Like, it's going to be fun to vote for him. The narrative is going to be very easy. Who doesn't like Giannis? It's going to be really easy to build an MVP campaign for him. Exactly. And a narrative for some of these awards, not all of them, but narrative does play quite a big factor in, in the voting. So I think, yeah, you, you're right there. Giannis is certainly going to have that on his side. All right, let's move to sixth man of the year. I'll go first this time. I have a bit of a surprise pick probably for my, my third candidate because I've trashed him on this podcast before. <laughs> go for it. I really like what I've seen out of Dennis Schroeder this preseason, David. Mm, interesting. The scoring guard of the bench is a, a very prototypical sixth man of the year winning role. We all know that. Dennis Schroeder is going to play that. He's I mean, really talented, probably the most talented six-man guard in the league. If, he, if he's dedicated to actually doing that and he fits in his role and stuff, like, man, he's kind of the prime candidate for this award, isn't he? Yeah, I, you know what? I didn't really consider him, and maybe that's my own fault. But, you know, as you've noted, this is very much a points award. It's basically gone to the points leader off the bench of all qualifying players in, like, the last... 12 years max this is a really wow. easy ward to predict from from that standpoint and uh actually i i had a very solid rule that i lived by that had kind of it had worked for the past 11 years before last year when lou williams broke it and that's that the six man of the year generally has to be on a playoff team and as i said hmm. lou williams broke that last year by winning it with the clippers who didn't make the playoffs but that kind of Moves into my predictions here. I'll give I'll give three and two at once here, and I've got Gordon in three as a as a vote getter of the past and and should be on a playoff team. And I've thrown Lou Williams in there as second purely because I can't see him going back to back if the Clippers don't make the playoffs. Not spoiling my West predictions too much there, but I don't have them in my top eight currently for the West standings unless they make some moves. So they're my three and two max to back up my eventual hopeful winner who I was digging around for playoff teams and for points on playoff teams. So I'll throw to you for your second place guy before I come back with my first. Those are very smart, reasonable, traditional picks that make a lot of sense. And I'm going to throw out something that's not that at all. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, it kind of, it kind of, it kind of is. So I, I mean, I've been on record saying that Boston's going to be freaking awesome this year. They're going to be one of the best teams in the league, if not the best. Mm -hmm. I think that Terry Rozier or Marcus Smart is my second. I, I, I can't decide which one I want to pick. I think I'm going to go Marcus Smart. I think people are going to be like, they're going to see him come to the bench and just do all the energy stuff for like a 65-win team. And I know he's not going to put the points probably, but I think he's going to be on so many national TV games doing so many like crazy plays that he's going to get kind of the, the narrative thing going. Yeah, it's funny, Max. We didn't discuss this at all kind of going in. We're coming in blind with our predictions, which is great, which might mean there's some double up, but there also might mean there's some themes here. And 
I've got for a, another award coming up, I've kind of got two guys on the same team in the same slot because I just don't know mm. which way to go with either of them. But yeah, I think you make a good point. Boston's going to certainly have the wins. There's certainly going to be a playoff team and uh, you know that bench is probably going to look pretty good. So there's going to be voters looking to that bench for who they can go to. And as I said, the eyes are normally drawn to points per game. So someone like Rozier off the yep. bench... Uh, would be probably my pick if I was going to choose between him and Marcus Smart, just because you know the things that Smart does aren't valued as much when it comes to Six Man of the Year uh, voting. And I guess that's time for me to throw to my eventual winner here, Max. And it, it lines up with your Schroeder. It's a guy on a new team and, and a playoff team, I think, anyway. I'm going to Denver with Isaiah Thomas. Whoa, wow. So you must really buy into the fact that he's been hurt for the past year and he's going to have a major bounce back. Yeah, I just think that team, they're pretty weak on the bench. So he, we're going to see him in that role that he loves where he's going to have any shot that he wants in that second unit and then maybe finish games in, in some funky lineups. I, I really liked what Boston did with him. They kind of rode his hand, benched him when they needed to and, and kind of put him in with the starters when he was really hot. So that's kind of the role, maybe not to the MVP type discussion level that he was having on that Boston team, but I think there's a real role for him on this Denver team. And uh, I think he can hit that rule of mine of being on a playoff team and, and have the most points off the bench. So uh, that's who I'm I'm tying myself to for this award, Max. I love it. I didn't even think of it. It's, it's great. It's a great idea. It's the prototypical guy to win it. It makes a lot of sense. I think Denver's going to be good. I think it's perfect. It's great. It's almost as good as mine. <laughs> hit me. I was so proud of myself when I came up with this. Ready for this? Yep. Fred Van Vliet. Ooh, I did consider him, but my rules kind of... You know, it, it, it knocked him out. But if I was to go against my rules, he was definitely on my radar. It, it, explain to me here, Max. Why is he going to win? I think he's going to be like their primary bench scorer guy. I think that's what they're going to rely on him for. They don't have DeMar Rosen anymore, so he was kind of a he kind of dominated the scoring him and Lowry. Yeah, uh, and Kawhi, well, he's a scorer for sure, but he's not a guard. I, I think that guard scoring there's a bit of a vacuum there. He'll come off the bench. He's going to be in a lot of important games because the team's going to be really good. Also, I just think he is really good. I think he's probably the best player among the people we've been talking about, or at least up there. So I just think he's almost like, I don't I think he should be the favorite for this award in Vegas, honestly. I, I don't understand why he's not. So what's the points jump we're talking here? I think off the top of my head, he was maybe around 10 points per game last year. And six man is, you know, anywhere between kind of 15 and 18, 19 points off the bench is kind of where you need to be to get in the conversation. So what what are we thinking with Van Vliet there? Yeah, I think 15 is super reasonable, maybe even a little bit higher. I, I think they're, like I said, I think they're going to rely on him a lot to score. So I, I see a jump there, but it's also going to be, and I know this defies the typical narrative, but I think it's going to be a lot of him maybe even playing crunch time sometimes as a six man at the bench yep. uh, in important games. So I think that he's going to get a lot of credit for stuff like that. I like it. I like it. We're, we're definitely going to have to note these ones down and come back to them, Max. Yeah, this is going to be fun to look back on. Uh, we're going to do Defensive Player of the Year, and I'll do my first one. <laughs> I'll do third first, just because I just checked my phone and saw that he is just going off right now. So, 
My third is Giannis Antetokounmpo for Defensive Player of the Year. Ooh, I like you tying it in with your MVP. You know that that's going to give him votes on on both sides. So that a good double down here. Yeah, I'm going all in on Giannis. And I just checked my phone, and right now in a preseason game, the Bucks are up 84 to 53 at halftime on Minnesota. Giannis has 24, 8, and 7 on 9 of 10 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3. They're, they're having almost the perfect preseason, and that sounds like almost the perfect game from Giannis. Yeah, right. Jeez, it's ridiculous. But yeah, so I got Giannis third. Not too much to you know explain here. He's a freak. I think Bud will unleash him on defense. He has all the potential in the world. But let's go ahead. You go to your third and second, because I like how you did that last time. It, it keeps us moving. Yeah, well, my top three here is the same top three as last year, but in a slightly different order, I believe. Okay. I've got Embiid third and Davis second, and I, I think it might have been the other way. And I, I've just given away right. who my, my first is going to be, but we'll leave that anyway. Going back to rules here, you know, you kind of have to be very, very dominant on the defensive end on your own or come from kind of a top two, top three team in the league when it comes to defense. And, and bigs also, uh, they dominate the last kind of decade or so in, in this award. So mm-hmm. pretty automatic selections. They're very much in the, the vein of Gordon and Williams from Six Man of the Year, just kind of looking for previous vote getters and, and guys that are, are going to be around the mark. So nothing drastic there from me in this in this award, Max. How about you? Yeah, I don't have much to comment on there. Those are reasonable picks. My, I'll do my second and my first. So my second's Gobert, who I think you might be talking about soon. Uh, I mean, hard to say anything about him other than that he's insanely good at defense. <laughs> and then my first is, he was not in the top three last year, but only because he was injured. I think that Kawhi Leonard returns to his mantle as the best defender in the NBA. Yeah, and he's the one that's kind of broken the mold a little bit with it going away from bigs and he is that dominant on the defensive end so a pick I would like to see get up to be honest because the kind of the anchoring bigs getting all the votes for defensive play of the year kind of doesn't do a a lot of justice to guys Mm -hmm. around the league that you know really focus on that end of the floor so yeah you know who I would have loved to throw in at third if he were healthy is Andre Roberson but unfortunately he is not yeah, and those role player guys, you know, they just don't get enough votes. They they might get mm-hmm. the odd vote here or there, but you throwing Giannis and Kawhi in is probably as good as it's going to get in terms of a a non traditional big. But as you said, I have gone with Rudy Gobert. Uh, he missed quite a bit of time last year and and still won the award. And I think Utah are going to be ad, as advertised again. You know, maybe with a little bit more offensive power, but. They're going to be very much a defensive team. I, I expect them to finish in that kind of top two or three in the league in defense, and uh, Gobert should get most of the votes there. So nothing hot takey about my pick, but I, I'm feeling pretty confident about that one. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to argue with that. He's the best defender in the league last year, and he very easily could be this year. So let's go ahead and move on to the most improved player, David. Do you want to start this off with your, maybe do your third and second? All right. This is, I've gone a little more off off the radar here with most improved player. So I'll start out by saying that, you know, my, my general rules here is you've kind of got to have a decent points per game jump, something around, you know, five points per game or something generally gets you on the radar of of this award. Uh, Oladipo won it last year. Uh, which is an interesting note. that That's kind of my other rule here and where I'll start with my picks is Oladipo made his first All-Star game last year and generally guys who make their first All-Star game on a, on a massive surprise or jump season uh, are in the running for this most improved award. So 
I'll start out by saying my third pick is Donovan Mitchell. Wow. Because I think he's probably going around the league, you know, maybe one of only a couple of guys that could potentially make their first All-Star game. But he'd probably need to become, you know, a 25, 26-point-per-game scorer on the back of his 20 points last season. So that's why I've got him just in third, because I'm, I'm not quite sure he can get that narrative going to, to be the top guy. And then, as I alluded to before, I've kind of got Turner and Sabonis together here. Mm, I like that. Whichever one of them kind of earns the most minutes on Indiana, I could see becoming a legit, you know, 17, 18 point per game scorer. And, and then on the back of their kind of 12, 11 points per game this last season, that, that would put them in the conversation as well for most improved, I think, Max. How about you? I like that because I think Turner was kind of supposed to win last year, and I like these guys who are like kind of post-hype sleepers, right? The guys who do things after they're supposed to. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah, narrative's a, a big thing on this one, I think. Mitchell's interesting because I, as far as I've heard, he's already like the best player in the history of uh, basketball, so <laughs> I, I don't know how he could possibly improve. So I have third, Brandon Ingram. Yep. I think that yeah, LeBron thing, it's going to make him look better, all that crap. Second, John Collins. Talked about him already. I just think he's going to be awesome. I think he can shoot now. One of the things on Most Improved Player, too, is you want to look for guys who were already much better than people thought they were last season. Exactly, yeah. And I think that John Collins fits into that. And uh, I'll go into my first because this is more exciting to me because I feel the strongest about this, maybe about any of the awards. Interesting. I think Jamal Murray is going to have a huge season. Ooh, I didn't think of him. That That's an interesting one. I kind of... Yeah, scoured last year's points per game leaders, you know, anywhere between kind of, you know, 11 up to 20 looking for for prime candidates here. But yeah, I I can get on board with that because, you know, Denver doing what they're supposed to do this season is going to be very much on the back of Murray having hopefully a good year. And I like to root for Murray too. He's he's a guy around the league that I like. He's buds with Berker. I'm trying to think of what he scored last year to kind of flow in with my five points per game differential, but he'd he'd have to make a pretty significant jump scoring-wise for that to to come to fruition, Max. The thing about Jamal Murray, and one of the reasons why I like him so much, I love guys who flash like every other game, and like you can see that they're like potential stars, but they don't do it all the time. So their stats don't look great because they have the off games and the great games, but it's just because they're young and they're going to put it together eventually. Booker was like this uh, season two, same as same as Murray. Yeah, and so I I just think that he's going to be much more consistent this season. The third year jump. I think that, like we said, Denver's going to be really good. They're going to be on TV a lot. I just, I think it's just everything lines up for him to get a lot of uh, most improved player buzz. Yeah, I think the narrative's there on that one. I, I really like that pick from you. So I'll throw probably my wildest one out here. Okay. I don't know if it's wild, but you know, my probably my, my biggest surprise here. So I had a quick look around. Uh, there, there's kind of when there's not an obvious choice. There's you know you can go to some 27 year old guys you know guys like Turgoglu and and Dragic have have won it in the past from that range but I, I couldn't see anyone there either so I've gone to a guy who scored 12.1 points per game last year and I think he could really lift that up and that is Karis Levert from Brooklyn wow I didn't even think about him but that's such a good one that's a great one I love it so just talk a little more about that I think, you know, he's having a good preseason. He's got that buzz around him from what I've seen. And things have kind of opened up in Brooklyn, you know, with, with Lynn going out. Obviously, he, Lynn wasn't healthy last year either, but I just think there's going to be a real clear 
rotation spot for Levert when you look at their kind of potential starting five and, and how they're going to stagger guys like Russell, uh, Dinwiddie, uh, they got Crab as well, but you know they they really need some playmaking, and I, I think you know Levert is one of those guys that Sean Marks has kind of attached himself to with the limited assets that he's had in his first couple of years, and he could be one that really makes a jump for Brooklyn this year. And um, you know we've discussed it before on previous pods; it's, it's not a great roster overall. It's just going to be a bunch of guys that go out there and compete under Atkinson. But uh, I really like Levert. I think he's got a real chance to you know, make that buzz this season and, and be, you know, one of the, the prime options on this Brooklyn team. You know who agrees with you is the Brooklyn Nets who apparently wouldn't trade him for Jimmy Butler. There you go. So, yeah, I think we're going to see a big season from him and maybe it's, you know, maybe voting will will go against him on a, on a poor team there. But I, I could see him becoming a 18 to 20 points per game scorer this year and, and that would definitely put him in the conversation based on what he did last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great pick. It's also somebody who's completely under the radar to the mainstream media. So if he like, kind of exposed to any extent, it'll be like, where did this guy come from? Exactly. All right, let's move on to Coach of the Year. I'll give you my third and second, and then we'll go from there. Yep. Third, this ain't hard. I'm putting Brad Stevens there. One of these years, they're going to have to give him the win, and maybe it'll be this year. They're going to be the best team in the league, I think. But I just have two like kind of better story guys ahead of him. So I have him third. Second for me is Billy Donovan. I mean, obviously this is tied to the fact that I think OKC is going to be freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, I think they're going to really surprise. I don't know if it's because of Billy Donovan, but Billy Donovan will be the uh, beneficiary of how good I think they're going to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you can kind of go two ways with these things. You can kind of bet against yourself in a few of these categories to kind of cover the field, or you can kind of tie all your predictions in together. And I think I'm all in, David. Yeah, I think we've both gone the same way because you know we're trying to link other things we think are going to happen, which is smart from from one perspective. So, yeah, I I definitely agree with both of those from a narrative standpoint. I've definitely gone narrative with my three and two as well. Uh, I may be giving away your first one here based on things you've said in the past, but I'm going Coach Bud for third, and I'm going Luke Walton for second because I think both of those teams will make big jumps in the win column next season and uh, the narrative will be there as well just for the decisions that these guys made as coaches even though they're going to have you know MVP type candidates leading their teams I think a lot of credit's going to be placed on on both of those guys but who have you got at the top Max did I did I give it away yeah you got it I had coach Bud first uh, I just think that teams be revolutionized I think he's going to get a lot of credit for the monster Giannis season we're going to see uh, it just makes a lot of sense. New coach. It's also a, a team that has been so poorly coached before that this is going to be a big difference. Yeah. And real quick before you do your first, I just want to say that uh, the fact that you have Luke Walton second in this and LeBron first in MVP voting, I can't wait to see where you have the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> you will find out very soon, as I'm sure. I'm pretty interested to see where you've got Milwaukee as well. But uh, my top pick here is... A guy that I'll call Brad Stevens light. I'm going Quinn Snyder. Okay. Uh, for many of the same reasons that you've got Brad Stevens, I think he's the kind of guy that has been talked about in these discussions for the last couple of seasons now. Uh, Utah had 48 wins last year, I believe. So, you know, if they can uh, really push and, you know, I've tried to match it up with where I've got them in my Western standings, although I might have underdone it slightly. But, you know, I think they'll they'll have enough of a win jump and, a, and enough of a narrative for Snyder to be coach of the year. 
Okay, if you're a Suns fan and you've been like, there's no Suns people being mentioned, uh, Rookie of the Year is now here, so there might be a Suns player mentioned in this, David. What do you think? Uh, there is on my side. I don't know about yours, Max. <laughs> I know who listened to this. Even I didn't want to put it on there, which I do. I would. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll start out. Rookie of the Year is another points, points, points award. Uh, it, it basically mm-hmm. always goes to the leading points per game guy from the draft class. Uh, the only difference to that in the last 10 or 12 years, which I believe one of those years was Derek Rose, and then last year, Simmons-Mitchell kind of stuffed my general rules around a little bit. But, you know, if you make the playoffs and are, are kind of one of the first options on that team, then you kind of get some buzz around the rookie of year. But all my votes, because I don't really see someone to fill that angle, uh, are going to who I expect to be the leading point scorers out of this draft class. So okay. third, I have Trey Young. And second, I have Luka Doncic. Interesting. So you do think Luka's going to be in the top three of point scoring? I think he may not score more than Young, but you know that rule really only comes for the eventual winner. Right, I think right. he'll get more, more votes over Trey Young because he's going to do a little bit more in terms of contributing to winning basketball. I think Dallas will be a, a better looking team than Atlanta next year. And I think... For that reason, he'll get a few more votes than Trey Young. But, you know, that trade is going to tie those guys together for a while. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who gets more assists, you know, who looks better as a floor general and, yep, yeah, who gets the votes there, Max. But who who have you got three and two? Yeah, I agree with you. The winners are the highest score among the rookies. That's just kind of generally how it goes. But yep. I'm not picking all winners. I'm picking the third place. And I think the third place is going to be Jaron Jackson Jr., Yep, because I think he's going to be really fun to watch, and also he's going to contribute to a team that's going to be decent. Don't have him in my top eight, but I think they're going to be close. So, yeah, I think that's going to be enough to get him in, in the conversation. Second, I'm going to have the guy that you are going to put number one, the guy closest to all of our hearts, DeAndre Ayton. I think he's going to be awesome. The preseason's been nothing but encouraging. He's going to be a man-child right away. The number one guy who everyone can probably... I might as well just go into number one for me now. Go for it. I have Luka one, and the reason is less to do with the fact that I had him uh, number one in the draft class, which I, I still would. It more to do with the fact that I think he's primed to win Rookie of the Year for two reasons. One, he's going to be on a better team than Aiton is in, more, in all likelihood. Yep. Number two, I think he's going to be more ready just because you know he's one of the most ready prospects we've ever had. He's already been playing pro basketball since he's 13. Even if you don't think he's going to be a superstar, I think most people who watch this stuff acknowledge he's probably going to be the best of these guys right away. Yeah, he's going to have a pretty ridiculous stat line at the end of the year, I think. Maybe not quite Ben Simmons level in terms of overall assists and rebounds, who won Rookie of the Year last year, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think he's going to be hard to ignore. I'm going to be interested to see where you've got Dallas because I definitely think that plays a role in his overall vote gets and, and how good they do look with him, you know, I guess controlling uh, the ball for that team. But yeah, I, I can't hate the pick. Obviously, I've got DeAndre Ayton as my top guy and that really comes on the back of, you know, maybe a slight change in my belief of how many points per game he he might actually score on this team next year mm-hmm. you know we d- we've discussed over un- unders on him quite a lot over the offseason I've definitely started to tick up 
in terms of his overall output, just because of what I you know think his role is going to be is a little bit different to what I originally thought it was going to be, and yep. he's just been impressive. So you know, I think he can be a seventeen to twenty point per game scorer on this team, kind of straight off the bat, and and that's going to be really hard to ignore in rookie of the year voting, I think. But I'll I'll throw to you for one more, just with that playoff. Thing. You mentioned Jaron Jackson. I think, yeah, you're right. In terms of winning the whole thing, maybe unlikely, but I think Memphis are going to be good enough. But the only other guy, if I kind of slotted in him fourth here, is Miles Bridges because mm. he, he may be a pretty good point scorer on a bubble playoff team. Is there anyone else around your your, your bubble just sneaking into the playoffs or just outside that, that may get votes, Max? That's an interesting question. Yeah, you know, I don't have them in the playoffs, but on the bubble... The Clippers and Shea Gilders Alexander, maybe? Ooh, you know I love SGA. <laughs> I kind of stole your guy there, but I mean, if he's as good as he's looked in uh, summer league and preseason, and the Clippers are really good, maybe him. Yeah, and they don't have like a real, you know, Tobias Harris will probably be their leading scorer, I'm guessing, off the top of my head. So th- mm. th- there'll be some points to be had on that team, I imagine, unless it changes drastically. So yeah, that's a good one. I like that one. And one more thing I want to uh, say before we move on to our playoff seedings is I think I would have been more tempted to put 8-1 and one had it not been for the fact that I just watched the Suns roll out G League point guards for five straight preseason games. I, I, I think that his production, I mean, he's great himself, no doubt, but he would be just much, much greater with a great point guard. And maybe Booker will be help that. I'm sure he will. But if this team, if for example, if Aiton were on a good team, if he were straight plays with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and had Conley, I think he would win Rookie of the Year. But it's just going to be tougher for him. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And you can either even make the comparison with Luka Doncic. I think he's mm-hmm. stepping into a role around, you know, kind of the perfect team for him. He's got Dennis Smith Jr. as that guy with an mm-hmm. extra year's experience to lean on in, in ball handling duties. And they've got kind of shooters around them. And then they've got DeAndre Jordan in the middle, which is going to make up for a lot of defensive mistakes that the team makes. So, yeah, I think that's a great point in terms of just, you know, role and the guys around him on the team. And, and yeah, point guard for the Suns is obviously still a point of contention and, and could count against Dayton, particularly early on until they hopefully make a move there, Max. Yeah, and even if Dodgers weren't in a good situation, it's just easier for guards to make their own way in the league. You know what I mean? Aiton's more dependent on having good players around him than Dodgers is. Very much so, and he's going to get you know four to six points a game off offensive rebounds and things, mm-hmm. but every, everything else is very much reliant on the action that the Suns run, which, by the way, they're doing a pretty good job getting him involved, but mm-hmm. you're right, there is some points maybe left on the floor due to the lack of point guard play and, and general creation play around Aiton, for sure. All right, let's move on to our uh, top eights for both conferences and then also our predictions for the playoffs, David. We should probably do the East first, right? Let's build up to the more exciting conference. Yeah, the East is is a little rough. I, I kind of, you know, I did full 15s here for context sake just to, you know, work out where teams really sit to, to work out particularly these lower seeds in the playoffs for the East and West. But I've got Detroit at eight and Miami at seven to start with Max as my kind of bubble teams, which means... Uh, Charlotte and Cleveland are the ones that miss out for me in the East. How about you? I don't have Detroit in. I considered them. I don't have Cleveland in either. Charlotte will get to a little bit later. Interesting. But I have Miami at number eight, 
and mm-hmm. I have Washington at number seven. I reserve the right to change Miami if the Butler trade actually happens, which it looks like it won't. We'll get to that later. Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on a little bit. I have Indiana at six, so that's my bottom three seeds. I also have Indiana at six, which is hey. interesting. That's the, the first one that we've matched up on through this whole pod, so that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at fifth for me, I have a team which I'm another team which you're probably going to have much higher, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. I do have them much higher. <laughs> but the team that I have at five, you probably much higher. I have the Philadelphia 76ers at five. Yep, and we've discussed that a few times. You know, We both expect them to maybe drop back a little, didn't have a, a great offseason, and a lot's going to come down to internal development there. So not crazy. So at four, I have Charlotte. I'm getting really high on Charlotte. I love what I see. I love Miles Bridges. I think Monk looks better. Yeah. I think the new coach, Borrego. But uh, I think Charlotte's going to be the team that is surprising in the East. Uh, I'll rattle off my top four here for you in the East, Max. Starting with Washington at four. Okay. Philly at three, Toronto at two, and Boston winning the conference at number one seed. Yeah, nothing too surprising there. I guess I'd just ask you, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before, but Washington, you're not concerned about the Dwight Howard might not even be able to play thing or, you know, all the obvious chemistry issues to come with Washington. That stuff's not too concerning to you? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is tied into what we mentioned on the Central Division preview episode, and that's that, you know, John Wall missed exactly half the season last year and they still Mm -hmm. did pretty well so I think chemistry obviously is an issue and they need to work out some things there but I will say this prediction is not tied to you know Dwight Howard being old Dwight Howard or anything like that it's very much tied to just getting hopefully a healthy season out of the, the regular core that they already had and, you know, some some luck going their way. I, I think that they can they can sneak into a, a first-round home court uh, matchup there, Max. But what does your top four look like? Yeah, they're certainly talented enough, too. Uh, my top four, so I said, yeah, so Charlotte's four. That's a surprise. Yep. Uh, Toronto, I have three. Milwaukee, I have two. And Boston, I think, will lead the league in wins. I'm going to guess something like 65, 66 for them. They're the ones. Ooh. That's a, that's quite a season now to Boston. They're and, just uh, so deep, and every single year Brad Stevens carries these trash teams or these injured teams to awesome records. David, they were the one seed last year without Hayward and with Kyrie missing like the last month. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Something we haven't really touched on with Boston too much is, you know, it, as unfortunate as all the injuries were last year, it kind of puts them in a really great place mm-hmm. this year. Uh, with the minutes they were get able to get into, you know, Tatum and Jalen Brown and things. So, uh, yeah, I would not at all be surprised if they lead the, the league in wins next season. So we breeze through the East because it's boring, but real quick, give me your Eastern Conference Finals, winner and loser, and then we'll move to the West. I'm going a little bit out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, and this is me very much matching, you know, even previous pod predictions up uh, with these new predictions to hopefully get everything right or, or nothing right at all, Max. But I'm going Toronto to beat Boston in the Eastern Conference Finals. Wow, interesting. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. I mean, Toronto easily could win that series, but I, I'm just surprised. I think most people think Boston's going to win. Yeah, I, I mean, as I said, it's tied definitely into my prediction around Toronto having a, a decent regular season and then Masai kind of making one more win now move towards the playoffs Mm -hmm. around the deadline. 
Um, and, you know, that would be the move that would maybe put them in a great position to beat Boston in, in a series. I, I don't know what that move is, to be perfectly honest. But right now, Toronto probably doesn't beat Boston. I'll definitely say that. So I'm definitely doubling down on my predictions there, Max. I like it. That's fun. Uh, I have the exact opposite. I have the Toronto Raptors losing to the Boston Celtics in the Interconference Finals. Uh, Milwaukee loses to Toronto in a crazy semifinal round, which I think will be really fun. But yeah. Toronto loses to Boston. All right, David, shall we move to the uh, real conference? <laughs> yes, the, the NBA conference, we'll call it. Yeah, I like the NBA conference. Uh, before before we get into this, I want to say kind of my general idea of what this conference is going to look like. Yep. So do you remember, David, the 2009-10 season, the last time the Suns made the playoffs? I, I know you're old like me. You probably remember this. Yeah, I, I'm almost that old that I don't remember it out of amnesia now, Max. <laughs> it was that long ago. But yes, I do. It was that season where the last like uh, the last month and a half or so were nuts because every single team in the top eight of the West was like the same record. Yep. It finished with I looked this up today. The one seed was L.A. Lakers with fifty-seven wins. The eight seed was OKC with fifty wins. There was a seven-game difference. They were all in the fifty wins. Wow. So I, I say this not to say that I think that's going to happen again, but I think we're going to get something very close to that this year. I predict it's going to be like a fifty-eight win to forty-eight win spread. Yeah. And and last year was you know pretty tight there at the top two with with Portland snagging the third seed. Mm-hmm. So I'm with you on that one. It's going to be a, a hotly contested conference. Yep. And I wanted to start with that because I got some takes in here, and it's not so much that I think some of these teams are like bad or good. I just think it's going to be really close. Uh, but I'll start with my eighth seed. We should probably just do this one because this is a thing. I have the Houston Rockets as the eighth seed. Oh, that is I- takey. <laughs> I'm nervous. I'm nervous, David. I don't like what they've done this season to their roster. I don't like Chris Paul being as old as he is and hurt every single year. Like he misses games every year, and now they're even more reliant on him and James Harden to kind of do everything. Yep. I'm just nervous, David. Yeah, I mean, I think Harden takes them past the eight seed by himself anyway, but with those qualifiers, I, I can see where you're coming from. If it's a tight conference... Chris Paul goes down at the wrong time of the year and, you know, their role players have gone back a step a little bit overall. I I can buy into the idea of it at least. Harden got his MVP too. I mean, he might be fat. We don't know. <laughs> I, I, even, I just, I'm a little nervous about it, but I'll move on. I'll do my next one because this is also a take. And then I'll let you, and then I'll let you take over. Okay. I have the Minnesota Timberwolves, the seventh seed. Ooh, they're, they're definitely out of the playoffs for me. Obviously reliant on, on Butler going at some point or, or just not playing for them maybe, but uh, what's your basis of that, Max? I think Jimmy Butler's going to play for them. I think he's I, – I, I, first of all, let me say this is very takey. This, has been, <laughs> this is built on what he's done in the past day, basically. But it seems like he's ready to just like prove a point. Yep. He's a weird guy, Jimmy Butler. He is. Uh, I think he's just going to be like – I think he's going to make second team All-NBA. So that's, that's a take two. I think Butler's going to have his best season of his career. I think he's going to come out and just be freaking awesome. I think he's going to be just yelling at Cat and Wiggins constantly and making their lives bad, but like sort of inspiring at the same time, sort of like a you know a vintage mid two thousands Kobe season, yep. where he yells at his teammates. But uh, I, I don't know. I have a weird feeling about this. I think it's going to be really funny. I think this is going to be NBA Twitter's favorite thing. Is Minnesota is going to be like really good in the seventh seed? I'll throw something in there, Max. Doubling down on the. Jimmy Butler being a weird guy and you, I guess, predicting (laughs) that he's going to have a great season on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Let's not forget this is a man who took 
the rearview mirror out of his car because he doesn't like to look back. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, man. Like, sometimes sociopaths are the best players. Like, look at Kobe Bryant. I just mentioned before. Sometimes you want a sociopath. Michael Jordan, sociopath. And and maybe you know he maybe Tibbs is you know knows him better than all of us. Maybe he knows that he can get him back in, and what's happened in the past will stay in the past. And I guess it'll depend whether the other guys can you know jump on board with that too. But I'll jump into my bottom of the conference here. So I will say I've got Mini missing the playoffs, and that's due to Butler being off the team. LA Clippers I've also mentioned, and. Uh, a team I would have had in the playoffs, if not for very recent bad luck with injuries, is the San Antonio Spurs, Max. So, yeah, I have them out too. Yeah, so Portland for me, who I did predict to miss the playoffs on our uh, division preview, now sneaks into the eight seed hmm. uh, at the expense of the Spurs. And I've got the Pelicans as the seven seed. I obviously have the Pelicans higher. I've talked about this before. I love them. But yeah, I mean, those are reasonable picks. More reasonable than mine, of course. Um <laughs> San Antonio, I agree. They're going to miss it. Clippers, not quite enough. Uh, my other team that I'll mention, Memphis, I considered them for the eighth seed. But once I realized that I was going to put Houston there, I was like, I can't have Memphis over Houston. So <laughs> I have them out. Okay, I'll move into my sixth seed, and then I'll do my five and my four also. I have the Utah Jazz at six, which I think will seem low to a lot of people. But it's not an indictment of Utah. I just It's just going to be so packed, and I, I love all these teams. Uh, five, the Lakers. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think they're going to be pretty good. Some people think they're going to the, miss the playoffs. I don't see that. I think LeBron's going to make this team awesome and fun. I hate the Lakers, so it's hard to say. But I think the young guys around LeBron, I kind of buy into the Bill Simmons theory that LeBron hasn't had the athletic, fun young guys in a while, and it's going to kind of rejuvenate them. I'm sure you're buying into the theory because you have him the MVP. <laughs> you, you never bet against LeBron James. Come on, we know this by now, Max. It's not smart. And then I'll do my fourth. I have the Denver Nuggets at four. I already said Jamal Murray uh, is going to be a most improved player. And I think Nicole Jokic will be on an all-NBA team, maybe even the second team. Interesting. That is a nice segue into my sixth seed is the Denver Nuggets. Uh, again, I think it's not an indictment on them. I think it's going to be a pretty close conference. So... Uh, that's just where I have them falling in front of OKC at five, mm. and then Utah are my fourth seed, Max. Yeah, I think you, so. The general trend is you have a much more reasonable list than I do. Mine's takey. <laughs> I have the New Orleans Pelicans at third. I've talked about this before. I love what they put around Davis. I love Davis having my second MVP guy. I just think they're going to be really, really damn good despite their flaws. And second, I have the Golden State Warriors. I think before I've actually had them even lower. Again, it's just like, I think all these teams are very close to each other. And the Warriors are just kind of default themselves into mid-50s wins, which I think is going to be enough for the two-seed. Yeah. Uh, I've got the Lakers at third, okay, which we've gone over a little bit. Obviously, on the back of LeBron being MVP, also on the back of a lot of these young guys taking a step. And, you know, I do think that they can make a move around the trade deadline that, you know, really projects them going forward into playoffs as well. Uh, You know, I touched on that on a previous pod. I just cannot see the Lakers wasting a year of LeBron's prime here. So Mm -hmm. that is very much contingent on them uh, bringing someone else in to, to make a difference there. And your eight seed, Max, I have the number two seed in the West, the Houston Rockets. 
Which, by the way, that doesn't, that's, not, that's not crazy for you. That's crazy for me. <laughs> and I believe I can guess your number one seed is the OKC Thundermax. That's exactly who it is. I know Westbrook's dealing with some knee stuff, but he's, it seems like he'll be back soon, if not opening night. I know Roberson's out until January, but listen, he was out the whole second half last year, and it's better than that, at least. At least he'll be back. David, I like what I'm seeing out of them in preseason. I think Paul George looks way better than he ever did at any point last year. I'd already told you I like what Schroeder's doing. I think he's a six-man candidate. I think Westbrook's going to embrace his defense first team kind of around him. I, I don't know. It's one of those things I don't really have a lot of like reason for. I just have a feeling that I think the OKC Thunder are going to be really, really good. Yeah, I mean, we're all in on a couple of different teams, and we're, we're kind of it's showing through a lot of these predictions. Obviously, I've gone the Warriors at number one here. Nothing surprising or really much to discuss with that. I just think that... As you noted, they mm-hmm. kind of default into a, a certain amount of wins and uh, health permitting, which I know you're kind of betting against a little bit this year with the Warriors. I think they're going to be yep. up there, and I've actually got them beating the Lakers in the conference finals, Max. Wow, so you think the Lakers make the conference finals? I, I can see it. It's not crazy, especially if they make the trade like you talked about. Yeah, if the Warriors were fully healthy and actually gave a shit, they would destroy this conference. <laughs> a lot of this is me thinking they won't be, and they won't care, and they won't be healthy. I have the Western Conference Finals being the Warriors defeating the Thunder uh, in seven games in OKC. Heartbreak, but a fun series. And then who wins it overall for you then, Max? I've ruined this before, so yours is actually more interesting because you have not given your answer. But I have the Boston Celtics beating a kind of a war-worn Warriors team that just kind of got to the end of a, a run that was too much for them. Uh, they lose to the Celtics in a series where they're really not themselves. All right, you ready for a hot take? Yes. The Warriors are going to beat Toronto in the finals, Max. Mm-hmm. That is not my hot take. Okay. However, it will be the last Warriors title, and Kevin Durant will leave after winning three with the Golden State Warriors. I love it. I think that's right. I think he is going to leave whether they win or not. Where do you think he's going to go? Oh, I... God, we've discussed this before. The NBA moves so fast that mm-hmm. predicting 12 months from now is is almost impossible. So I'm not too sure. Someone might come from out of nowhere, Max, and, and surprise us. But uh, He's trying to tell you that Phoenix is going to get him. <laughs> you know, James Jones will be the, the full-time GM by then. You, you just never know. But no, uh, I, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about that. And uh, particularly, I, I noted the other day that uh, Draymond Green said that age will be the only thing that that gets this team eventually and I think he's right I think particularly if Kevin Durant moves age after this year is going to catch up with them so I think I'll give them one more before the 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 decline max I agree Uh, that's the only thing that'll kill them uh that and boredom uh I will say that I think Katie is going to leave also I think go to New York just the the obvious storyline for him yep uh, and then uh, one more question for you, though. So you have Toronto making the finals. Do you think Kawhi stays? That's a good question. God, it'd be hard to leave a team that make the finals, wouldn't it, Max? Mm-hmm. Um, it would. Ooh, yeah, I'm going to go with recent history of these teams retaining guys. I, I'm going to say he stays, Max. Yep, I agree with you. I think he'd stay if they made the finals. I think he'll even stay in my prediction where they lose in the Eastern Conference finals. 
before we go on to did you know, David, you have some fun questions that you used to do on your blog that we have some answers for that I think we should go through real quick. Yeah, I've got an, I've got an unofficial award for all of the, the six awards that we covered here, Max. So I'll give you a brief description of what it is and an example of a guy who I think could win it. And then I'll, I'll put you on the spot with something and, and try and get a pick from you. Are you game? I'm game, and just to full disclosure, I'm not going to be on the spot. I actually prepared for this. <laughs> okay. All right, we'll go in the same order as we did with the official awards. So the first one is most disappointing valuable player, and that would be, Max, a number one option guy on his team who's going to have a down year. For this one, I'm going to go very much against you, and I'm going to say Russell Westbrook, purely from a health standpoint, has a... Not so ideal year this year for the OKC Thunder. David, I'm offended. That is just so rude. <laughs> what do, What do you got for me? I excluded teams like the Knicks in Sacramento where there really isn't one because I don't think that's fair. Yep. I went with Aaron Gordon. I've talked about him a little bit before. I just don't think he's that good. I don't think he can shoot. He had a one hot stretch and people think he can shoot. He can't shoot. He's an overrated defender. He's Orlando's best guy, but I don't think he's a true like star of a team. And I think he's going to be disappointing. Yeah, I think that's a good pick in terms of a guy who isn't going to have a lot of support. So if he's not firing, things are going to look pretty bad. So uh, yeah, that's not a bad one. Next, we'll go with what we call the seventh man of the year. So as we covered on the sixth man of the year being very much all about points, Max, we, we don't get that true role play, player getting recognition. So for this one, basically any role player on a team uh, who isn't really known for their point scoring and, and instead is going to bring value elsewhere. I will throw up an Aussie connection here, Aaron Baines. Love him. We've discussed him before. He's going to take all the big boys in Boston and maybe even start games sometimes when they're playing against a really big center. So he would be an example of my seventh man of the year. Who have you got for me? Mine is somebody who people were shocked that the Houston Rockets wouldn't trade for Jimmy Butler. For me, it's P.J. Tucker. Nice. I like it. P.J. Tucker allows that team to play uh, small against the Warriors. He's kind of the reason why they went to seven against the Warriors. That might sound crazy to say, but he really is the reason because he allowed them to match up. Uh, He's just such a versatile defender. He's so tough. I think he had a game with like 15 boards in that series. He doesn't get the credit for what he does, and he is my answer. Very nice, very nice. This next one's a fun one. It's the extra defensive player of the year, Max. So it isn't a guy who plays really, really good defense. It's a guy who, you know, maybe gets a little bit salty. The salty is the unofficial name for this award. So uh, I'm going to go Dame Lillard with Portland not having such a great year. He, he's he got a history of getting a little, you know, salty on social media. And uh, I, I'm going to... Double down on the Blazers not having a great year. Maybe just sneaking into the playoffs with that one. How about you, Max? Before I answer, can I go ahead and say that this should probably be called the uh, Kevin Durant Memorial Award? <laughs> I like it. Yep. Very good. I'm going to go with Carl Anthony Towns for very obvious reasons. I think him and, him and Butler are going to have some some fights this season. That's a good one. That's a very, very good and I think one. They're, I think they're going to be good still, but I think they're going to fight a lot. All right. Next one is an easy one. For me, most improved team, and I've obviously got the Los Angeles Lakers. How about you, Max? Uh, For me, it's the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, I obviously have them really high, so there you go. Very nice, very nice. Uh, To offset the Coach of the Year award, we've got the Coach on the Hot Seat award. Mine is a guy who missed the playoffs last year. Expectations are going to be very, very high on him this year, and he can't miss again or else... 
I think he'll be fired, and that is Mike Malone for the Denver Nuggets. Ooh, that's a good one. I think they're going to be good, but if they're not good, he's out. Mine's uh, Greg Popovich. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's, that's a joke. Uh, mine's Fred Hoiberg. I think that he is probably going to get fired because the team's going to suck and he's been there a while. And also, if I'm horribly wrong about how the Minnesota situation goes, I think Thibodeau's a decent answer for this. Yeah, they were two other guys that I probably had in my top three along with Malone. So I think they're good choices. All right, so the last one we're left with is uh, Rookie of the Year, which this one we call the Played Like a Rookie of the Year award. And, and therefore, it is a guy who's definitely not a rookie, but that has a very, very bad rookie type season. My example for this one would be Zach Levine. He's coming off an injury ah. on a pretty bad team. He's known to be pretty inefficient. You know, we could see a lot of rookie type traits out of Levine this year, taking the most shots on the Bulls. So what do you got for me here, Max? That's a good answer. Uh, that's a good one. Mine is the same person I would have picked the last two years. So assuming I've done this award before, this is the third year running <laughs> that I have picked Andrew Wiggins for this award. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with that, I don't think. I don't think he's going anywhere fast. But I think we can move into Did You Know? Yeah, it's time for Did You Know, so I'm going to throw it to David. Thanks, Max. Back with Jack for part two of our chat about his book and the great 05-06 season for the Phoenix Suns. Just quickly, anyone listening, if you haven't heard part one, then I'd strongly suggest you go back to the previous episode and listen to it first. But back to you now, Jack. Part one was a lot of fun. So are you ready to jump back into part two? Yes, sir. Ready to go. We pick it up roughly halfway through the book and at the beginning of this second playoff series versus the Clippers. Jack, the Suns have just scraped by the Lakers 4-3 as we ended in part one. So we'll jump back into the same format here, and that probably gives you a little bit of a clue about where my first quote actually comes from. So, you know, it is prior to the series with the Clippers, and going you're going through a, a section explaining the dynamics of the locker room. So starting off with a slightly different one here, who said this, the coaches can never be sure what they're going to get out of him from one game to the next, partly because they consider him a poor preparation guy. Uh, who said it or who are they talking about? It's not a quote. It's me talking about Correct. it. Correct. You said that one, Jack. You, you caught my trick question there. And, you know, and maybe alluding to it there, do you know who they're talking about or who you're talking about? Well, they're... I mean, my best guess would be uh, they were talking about, well, Amari wasn't, uh, I'm trying to think it could be Amari or Sean, but I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say Amari. It's one of the uh, lesser role players on the team, uh, if you want to have another crack. Well, then it would be Sean, I guess. <laughs> no, it was James Jones. Oh, James Jones. I forgot he was that important at all, but uh, <laughs> I do remember that now. I remember, yeah. Phil, Phil Weber used to work with, uh, Phil used to work with James a lot, and he would get uh, frustrated. And James had a little bit of a low flame also, but uh, he ended up having a, a pretty extended career because, you know, there was always a threat that he could that he could bomb some threes down on you, and he had some size, and once in a while he could guard some people. But James was a young player then, and... Uh, I do remember that Nash used to talk to him about it. He would, James once in a while would be eating fries and, and chicken like 45 minutes before the game. And Nash would just shake his head and just say, man, you can't, when you get to be my age in the league, you can't be, uh, you can't be eating like that. <laughs> yeah. There's a quote a little further on where Nash is yelling out the, the time on the clickety, as you like to say, and uh, Jones is still putting on his sneakers, but 
I threw him in because he's, you know, now a member of the Suns front office. And I think a few people might be surprised by the lack of preparation, particularly because of what he went on to do in his career. And, uh, you know, the fact he's kind of been brought in to relate more to players and, and have that more professional side. So, you know, throwing back to the book, what was the locker room like on, on game day, Jack? Who, you know, who were the loud ones? Who were the quiet ones? And, you know, who were the, the steadying influences around the locker room? Well, it wasn't a really, it wasn't a really loud team. Uh, I think the one, one of the players that the, they wished was, was more healthy and ready to go was Kurt Thomas. They really looked upon him as a solid guy, a veteran leader, people that everybody respected. But, you know, one thing that's a reality about pro sports and might be amateur sports too, is that if you're injured, uh, yeah, okay, you can make a lot of comments about, uh, well, he's still in the locker room and pepping everybody up and all. It doesn't work. You know, you got to be out there. Uh, you got to be out there playing. And uh, I think losing Kurt uh, for a lot of the season, not having him available, I think that hurt some of their veteran leadership. Obviously, Steve, you know, Nash was a, uh, was a steadying influence. The Amari injury, and Amari being in and out, he's not around the team. Is he working with the trainer? Is he doing what he should? That was a very, very, very divisive influence throughout the whole year. And I'm not sure they couldn't have, you know, won the championship. Had that team that went into the practice on the first day, uh, had they stayed together, Nash and Amari would have perfected that, uh, you know, the lob pick and roll. And man, they would have been good. But that was a very, very uh, dividing element, uh, Amari being kind of in again, out again. Yeah, you make a great point there with veterans kind of needing to play. I think that's something that the Suns have lacked the last few years. They've brought in veteran guys, but they've been sitting on the bench or injured, as you said. And you know, they've brought in Ariza and, and Anderson to play that role this year. And hopefully they'll be in the you know starting five and, and can lead the way a little bit more. But the next one comes in a, in a timeout section after the Suns win a game against the Clippers and the series is tied three to three. And this one's kind of timely for the upcoming season. So who said this? You should keep your eye on this guy. Really sharp, really popular over in Italy as a player and then a coach. You should keep your eye on this guy. Really popular. You mean somebody said that about D'Antoni, obviously. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be somebody outside the... Uh... I'll give you a clue here, Jack. It was a female. It was a female. Wow. Well, I'm trying to think how many of them I quote in a book beside Laurel D'Antoni. I mean, maybe maybe Mike's wife said it about him, but... Oh, no. You're on the right track there. Think of the Italian link and the wife link. Oh, it could have been, uh, I don't know, was it Brian Colangelo's wife? It was, Barbara Bottini. Barbara Bottini, yes, who uh, who emerged in Philadelphia when, uh, you know, Barbara became a little bit of a, uh, you know, a character in the Jerry, in the, I'm sorry, the Brian Colangelo drama in Philadelphia. Yeah, that, that quote I threw in there because it really jumped out at me. She seemed to be the one that first uh, told Brian about Mike D'Antoni, so you know, really into a basketball. And, and that was maybe the eventual downfall of Brian in, in Philadelphia. She was a very smart girl. She came over the first time she came over, the first time I saw her. And in fact, first time I met D'Antoni, as a matter of fact, was he was a player in the McDonald's Open, the first one that was in Milwaukee. And Barbara was kind of a public relations person with the Italy team. And Mike came over and played, uh, you know, was kind of the aging point guard. And he always reminded me 
that he had a triple-double in the game they played against the Bucks. But it was like 10, 11, and 10 or something. You know, it was... <laughs> uh, I looked it up eventually, but he had a he had a triple-double in it. So, he, you know, he was a he was a really, really good European basketball player, D'Antoni. So, Colangelo actually leaves halfway through the book uh, in this season for Toronto. So... You know, was the sense around the team that Sava was, you know, trying to finally, you know, rid the Colangelo influence around the Suns franchise and and claim his, you know, his franchise outright, so to speak? I think that's fair to say. Uh, I mean, Jerry, you know, this is 12 years later and Jerry is an enormous figure in the league. I mean, still, you know, he looms over the Hall of Fame. Uh, He looms over... uh, the, the national team, you know, the U.S. Olympic team, the selection committee, uh, and Jerry's shadow in Phoenix was a very, very big one. And, you know, Sarver, I think, felt a little bit like, hey, man, I was the one paid the money for this team, you know. And uh, I think that had a little bit to do with it. But I think Brian, I, I didn't see that as a sustainable relationship, that Brian continuing to be the general manager at a team that his father once owned and now he doesn't. Brian, he needed to get away. So I think your question's accurate. But at the same time, uh, I think Brian needed to get away from there also. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of at first wasn't interested in the, the Toronto approach. And, and then Sava basically, you know, gave the team permission to, to talk to Colangelo. And, you know, from there, it was kind of over. Colangelo didn't even bring the offer back for Sava to match. And, you know, as you said, I think both parties were maybe ready to to separate ways. And, you know, all the Colangelos and Sava and, and everyone was in on that uh, free agency meeting with with Steve Nash before Nash came over to Phoenix. And as you said, I think there was some feelings with Sava that he, he kind of needed to claim his team finally, this team that he'd paid all this money for and, and should have control over. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix, you know, Phoenix is a small town, you know, quote, a small town. I mean, and and the Colangelos loomed over it and they needed to, they needed, they needed space there. there there's no question about it. Sarver didn't do everything correctly, but I never blamed him for uh, Brian leaving or anything like that. You know, I, I think that was probably the right thing for all for all parties. We'll jump forward. The the last matchup is against the Mavericks and, and the Suns win game one. Nash has 27 points and 16 assists in that game against the team he left in that free agency period, mind you. So that prompts uh, one of the assistant coaches, and I'll probably give it away here, but the quote is, if they don't think that little motherfucker is the MVP now, they can kiss my black ass. Who said that, Jack? Well, that's obviously Alvin Gentry. I, I remember that. I can remember that exactly. I remember that we were walking back in the tunnel, and I and you know, and this was like only a couple seconds after the after the game was over, and I can I can <laughs> just picture that. You know, Alvin was the source of many great quotes in the book, and the reason. A large part of the reason that the book worked, in my opinion, was, first of all, D'Antoni saying yes to doing it. But the assistant coaches, the spirit of those guys, Alvin, uh, Mark Ivoroni, Phil Weber, um, and Dan, D'Antoni, that's really the reason it worked. That That's the guys that really adopted me and made me feel like part of it and uh, really let, because Mike, I'm, I was pretty close to, but the, the head coach of a team is busy. 
I mean, he's the face of the franchise, you know, and a lot of my time was spent with uh, with those guys. And I, to this day, remember that very fondly. Yeah. So Alvin's, you know, obviously a head coach now in the league, and he was twice before a head coach before that season with Phoenix. It, it sounds like you spent quite a bit of time with him. Did you you know, get the sense during that season and your time with him that, you know, he did eventually want to become his own head coach again? Well, first of all, the answer to your question is absolutely. I mean, he thought he was going to be a head coach. And I think he had been, if I'm not, my history's now a little bit. He had coached the, uh, so Alvin had coached the, uh, the Clippers, but like everybody with the Clippers, you know, he got fired. And I used, I thought about this years later. In fact, I talked it over with Alvin. I saw him down in New Orleans. If you would have taken a snapshot then of, well, who's going to be coaching, you know, you just can't tell Mike with his third team since then, D'Antoni, Alvin back in the mix. I mean, being mentioned last year as a Coach of the Year candidate, uh, Ivoroni had a uh, had a shot in Memphis, but once again, he was kind of hired to be fired. That wasn't a good uh, situation for him. And Dan D'Antoni, back coaching at his alma mater. You know, he's back coaching at, at Marshall, where he and Mike were Hall of Fame players. So you think you can predict things, but I'm telling you, man, you don't know where anybody's going to end up. You really don't. Steve Nash, a Laker. <laughs> if I would have thought of that at the end of the year, I mean, there's there is no way to predict uh, where w- the way things are going to be ten years later. And I found that out by doing this book. And, and Dan's a great example of that. The the character that he plays in this book and his coaching philosophy, you know, as you said back in uh, part one here, of, you know, he was very much a believer in you know once you're in the NBA, you, you're probably a good defender, and had a very you know, black and white, a view of the NBA. And, and now some of his more recent quotes, he, he's gone a, a full 360 and is, you know, a very analytical college coach and, and very much against the grain in that system. Yeah, my um, the two brothers, Mike is very, very much where he should be. He should be heading an NBA team. As I mentioned before, you know, face of a franchise, Mike is very much that type of guy. And Dan is very much where he should be also. I'm not sure, Dan, maybe it was all the years, you know, he was a high school coach for 30 years. So maybe by then it was too ingrained. But it always seemed a difficult fit to wedge Dan into the NBA. And I'm just really glad he's He's happy and he's doing uh, he's doing very well in uh, in Marshall. Yeah. So my last quote and question for you here, Jack, and it, it comes after the Suns bow out four three to the Mavs in those conference finals, and it is I'm really proud of you guys. Given the setbacks we had this year, you guys brought it every night and you won your division fifty four games. We're going to be even better next year. Who said that, Jack? Uh, well, the logical thing would be uh, Mike, but somehow I don't think I'm going to guess that maybe uh, I, I'm I'm taking a guess here. I'm going to guess maybe that Sarver said that to him. Yep, you've ended on a high note there, Jack. That is correct. The the Suns were better next year, winning 61 games, but you know have basically never gone further than that 05-06 season. So. Without the benefit of hindsight, you know, what was your general feeling, you know, maybe hearing that quote around the team directly after the loss? Did 
you know, did you think that they were going to be better with Amari and, and things like that? Or as you said, you know, not being able to predict the future in the NBA, did you think that maybe that was, uh, you know, their one wasted opportunity? Well, when I, when I got to the end of that season, you have to remember where the beginning was. I mean, the beginning of it was who the hell knew what was going to be? Because, you know, the the assumption was they had lost Quentin Richardson, they had lost uh, Joe Johnson, that maybe they weren't going to, I mean, they had gotten off to that unbelievable start, you know, the year before. So people knew they arrived. But it wasn't like we're looking at the Suns as, oh my God, uh, these guys are going to win the title. And there were doubts about the way they played. So when you got to the end of the year, you would look back and say, well, they were probably as good as we expected. However, they should have beaten Dallas. I mean, they had them by eight points in a, you know, in Dallas, the, you know, to go up three to two in game five. I still remember that. <laughs> Mark Stein was sitting next to me and goes, you're going to be winning a championship because the Suns would have beaten Miami. I mean, Shaq couldn't get off the, you know, he couldn't play against them. You know, he, he just, they just would have taken him out of the game. And they just had to shut down Dwayne Wade. That's all ridiculous retrospect. But the best team the Suns had was obviously the next two years. You know, Amari was healthy. Steve and Amari were really, really, really rolling. They knew what they were doing. And look, the NBA is full of these almost teams. That is what you get. All those teams that went up against Jordan. You know, the Utah Jazz were an almost team. The Sacramento Kings at the turn of the century, you know, with that great team that they had. There are so many almost teams. And among those teams, the sons of those three or four years were certainly among the best. And they were certainly among the most entertaining. Yeah. So as you as you mentioned, they they went on to to lose a semifinal and and then lost in the first round. And then uh, ironically, as we were discussing before, Gentry then took over the team and he got them back to the conference finals again after a 54-win season, but they lost 4-2, and, and they haven't been back to the playoffs since, since that 0-9-10 season. That, that's an eight-season playoff drought. So, uh, you know, who knows what Sava would be thinking now in terms of that run he got early on compared to the, the last eight years, Jack? No, they were, at, you know, the time that they were really, really, really at their best was when they should have done it because the West, I mean... The Spurs were really, really, really good and stood in kind of diametric opposition to the Suns. You know, they had they couldn't do anything with Duncan. You know, I mean, he defended the hell out of them, as he did with a lot of teams. Uh, offensively, he was really, really good. And Parker and Ginobili, you know, were really good then also. But now, to get back now, and now LeBron's moving to the West. <laughs> so... You know, to get back, I mean, you you got the you got the Warriors. You got you know you got Lillard and McCollum in uh, in Portland. You know, you have LeBron now in the West. Um, you have you know Westbrook. Uh, you know those guys. I mean, it's going to be really, really, really hard. And the Suns are just going to be one of those teams that are going to look back and say, "Wow, I wish we could have won it all then," because it ain't going to be easy now. Look at the Mavericks. You know, they won a championship and. Uh, and they're really, really struggling to get back to any kind of relevance. So these things have an ebb and flow to them. And uh, I was I was happy to be around when the, the Suns were really coming up. And on a personal and professional basis, yeah, I wish they would have won it all. 
Yeah, and, and that kind of brings us to the end of the book and, and the end of our chat, Jack. And you, the end of the book I, I, is really interesting. I love that you kind of end it with a, a look at the off season and the Suns trying to make some moves around the draft for the for the upcoming season and, and things don't quite go their way. But yeah, it's just a perfect end to the book and, and, and leaves the reader kind of wondering what could have been. But like last episode, are you open to another round of seven seconds or less to finish off here? Sure. So last time we focused on writing this book, but this time I wanted to talk about uh, all the other things you've done. So I'll jump into question one. Who's the best interview in general throughout your kind of Sports Illustrated career and, and other things that you've done? And, and who's the one interview that you wish you got but never did? I never got to the root uh, the way I should. I've interviewed him, but since then we've had kind of a falling out. I just saw him up at the Hall of Fame and I wasn't able to interview him for the Dream Team book. And that was Isaiah Thomas. We went back and forth a lot with uh, with some conflict. And, uh, and, I, and I would have to say the best, you know, look, in this business, you have to get to the best guys. And uh, I was lucky. So I would have to say, I would have to say Jordan. Not so much for what he said, but his availability and my ability to get to him when he was the you know the most popular athlete on the planet. So for question two here, for any Suns fans listening that uh, have read Seven Seconds or Less, but but only read that book, which other book of yours are, are you most proud of with the end product that they should maybe pick pick up and read? Well, I'm not I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm on this broadcast, but by far the Suns book. If I were judging my own work, I. I I really thought was the best book. I'll never have a chance to do an inside book like that. Having said that, uh, my my latest book called Golden Days is out in uh, in paperback, and I I think it was really a an interesting look at Jerry West first of all, and then a way to kind of connect the two eras uh, of the uh, of the NBA. And I thought I was pretty successful in doing that. And I would say the other book would if anybody if any male out there has prostate cancer. Uh, I wrote a book called The Prostate Monologues, which I'm uh, pretty proud of. Yeah, I, I plan on, on picking that one up for sure, Jack, after after reading through your recent projects. Uh, I lost my father to cancer, so I, I'm definitely going to have a, a look into that one. But finally, to end it off here, is there another project in the works? Is there is there anything that you can you know tease us coming up in the future? What, what are you up to these days? Well, they're doing a, uh, a movie company bought a uh, – bought- the rights to dream team. So they are making, there already has been one documentary about uh, dream team. Uh, and, but th- these guys are kind of taking a new approach, different approach, kind of a cultural approach to the phenomenon of it. That's going to be on BET next year sometime. So I'm kind of working with them. And beside that, I'm, I don't know, I'm just looking around for maybe a, a smaller book to write a book about, I don't know, a story that I'm trying to find a story that nobody knows about in basketball. And uh, I have a couple ideas, but nothing really in fruition yet. Well, great. That, that's it for it, Jack. I wanted to thank you a, a whole heap one more time for, for giving us your time. This has been a heap of fun for, for this Suns fan. And, you know, I, I hope listeners have enjoyed it too. And you know, maybe we'll find a, a few more new readers of seven seconds or less that haven't picked it up before, or you know, maybe a few more that'll that'll go back and and read it again after this little chat. So, listeners, you can you can follow Jack on Twitter. That's how I ended up getting in touch with him and keep up with him there for all these you know possible new projects coming in the future. But for now, we'll we'll jump back into the rest of the episode. And uh, thanks very much, Jack, for coming on. Okay, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, David. 
That was awesome. Thank you again to Jack McConnell for joining us. So cool to have the namesake of this podcast join us. How cool was that, David? Oh, so much fun, Max. And uh, I'm glad the listeners have got through the two parts now. And uh, definitely want to throw one more big, big thank you out to Jack for doing that with us. That was uh, great to get him on for you know, a good 45 minutes over two pods there. So we're going to go into our second part of this, which is going to be an extended version of our seven seconds or less segment. We're going to do five each to each other, 10 total questions about the Phoenix Suns. We're going to talk about recent current events. We're going to talk about predictions. We just want to get some Suns in here because unfortunately the Phoenix Suns are not totally involved in the league-wide prediction stuff. They're not going to win a lot of awards probably, not going to make the playoffs, but we love them. We want to talk about them. David, are you ready? Yeah, we'll still go pretty rapid fire here, I think, Max, yeah. but uh, 10 questions instead of the normal three and a, and a bit of back and forth on this, so I'm excited. Let's do it. I'll start. David, question number one. Gina Mazel, I think is how you pronounce her name, brand new Phoenix Suns reporter for The Athletic, mentioned today that Booker was playing full contact scrimmage with the starters, including Shaq and Akobo. If Booker does start Wednesday night, who is going to start at point guard with him? Do I have to choose out of those two guys? No. I phrased that question very particularly. I did not ask you out of those two guys. I've got this really weird feeling because of the chemistry that they've shown that Josh Jackson is going to start on this team, Max. Mm, You think with Booker? Yeah. I think if they haven't resolved uh, any new point guard situation, uh, it's definitely something that I could see happening for game one. You know what? I had Shaq as my answer, but fuck it. I'm changing it. I agree with you. That's what they should do. It's definitely what they should do, and I think it's definitely something that will get major, major consideration if they're trying to, you know, maybe buy themselves a little bit more time to bring a point guard in. It's the lineup I would go with. Booker, Josh, Ariza, Anderson, and Aiton, that's a lineup that I feel like that's talented. They, that maybe if it works out, that actually be a reasonable starting lineup in the NBA. Yep, and I think it works wonders for the second unit as well. So, uh, yes, yeah, that that's what I'd be doing. Yep, cool. All right, your turn. All right, my number one here, Max. As we discussed, McD was recently fired, and the Suns have what? No full time GM at the moment. So an easy one here to start off. The next Phoenix Suns GM, James Jones or the field? James Jones. I think that's even that's pretty easy to be. It seems like they've already kind of decided, to be honest. It's definitely looking like that. So I, I, I definitely, it's always hard betting against the field, but not a bad bet there, Max. But give me, give me number two. Number two, David, are we actually going to sign Jamal Crawford? Please say no. <sighs> I'm going to say that whenever a guy comes in for an interview like that is a pretty surefire sign unless he said the wrong thing or, or the Suns maybe turned him off with what they said. It all just depends for me on what the rest of the team looks like um, uh, uh, around whether I could get, get behind it or not. But uh, if I have to make a choice right now, I'm going to say yes, Max. Yeah, unfortunately, I think you're right, and I wish that you were wrong. All right, your turn. That's a nice segue into my number two. So, as you know, I'm kind of borderline obsessed with with this at the moment. So, walk me through how the Suns get to 15 players before game one, Max. Wow, okay. Uh, so, am I allowed to say that the NBA grants the designated, or the, sorry, the disabled player exception? You're, you're fully in charge of the future here, so go for it. Wow. So, we're going to trade for LeBron. <laughs> That's four players. Uh, no. um, man, I think they're going to cut... 
So I know that I'm going back to what I said last week. I think they're going to cut Isaiah Cannon. Or is it Canon now? I heard they changed his pronunciation. Canon? <laughs> Canon? I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I like the guy. I'm sorry, Isaiah. I think they're going to cut you. Uh, and then I think they're going to cut... Man. All right, I'm going to say it. I think they're going to cut Dragonbender. <laughs> He's been bad, man. I mean, wh- why would you keep him? He's not showing anything. I, I don't disagree. It would just be a lot of money to eat, and that may save him, Max. Yeah, that's true. It is a lot of money to eat, but... I mean, they're going to have to eat money some way or another, right? Because they, they cut Tyson Chandler, that's a lot more money to eat. If they cut Troy Daniels, that's $3 million to eat. I guess they can cut Shaq, right? But I think if they cut the Cannon, they're going to want Shaq, so... I don't, it's not easy. That's why this is a hard one. Uh, what do you think? It, it's why I'm obsessed with it, Max. So, uh, yeah, I think Arthur goes. I think Kanan goes... If I have to go with my previous answer and Jamal Crawford's coming in, I believe that means that <laughs> one more guy also has to go. Um, so I would probably put that down to one of Reed or Shaq, and oh, I think I'm going Shaq. Mm, wow. Yeah, I forgot about Reed. So this kind of goes into my next question for you. Order of likelihood, who's on the roster on the last day of this season? Dragon Bender, Shaquille Harrison, Tyson Chandler, Troy Daniels. Ooh, I don't think they find takers for Chandler, and Sava hasn't really bought guys out like that in the past. So I'm going to say Chandler most likely, Dragon Bender second most likely for very much the same reason, and then that would leave Daniels slightly ahead of Shaq, only because I said that Shaq's kind of on the bubble of getting cut here, so. That would be my order, although I'm not all that confident in it, Max. I think that's the right order. I think I agree. Even though I said Bender's going to get cut. <laughs> I don't know. That's what's funny about this, right, David? It's insane. It's impossible. It really is. I, I would give a lot of money to anyone who uh, can even predict how these kind of two or three changes to get down to 15 is going to happen because there's just so many different variables here. But going to the Golden State Warriors preseason game, Max, it was clearly the Suns' Uh, best outing. Anderson kind of was quoted after it that it kind of came after their best practice. And uh, no surprise, Ariza and Anderson both kind of played their best games in that game. So I'm going to ask you, firstly, if Ariza and Anderson are options three and four on this team. And secondly, what we can expect out of both of them in the way of points for the season. I think Ariza is Pretty clearly option three or four. Okay. It, it depends on where Josh is, right? I I mean, Booker's one, eight and two. That, that doesn't need to be said, really. But if Josh is going to start, I think he probably takes more shots than Ariza. But I, I actually really like what I've seen of Ariza in the preseason, especially in the Golden State game, where in the first quarter he kind of looked like a superstar for, for, 15, for 12 minutes. <laughs> yep. But, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say third for Ariza. I'm going to say fifth or sixth for Anderson. I'll say Ariza averages 10 points a game. I'll say Anderson averages, I don't know, eight. Yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable. I'd maybe have Ariza a little bit higher. I've kind of said I think he's kind of more the clear third option on this team. And actually starting Josh, I think, reduces his shots and and overall output maybe um, with those starts. I I agree, but I think it also reduces Ariza's. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yep. Okay, uh, next. David, will our Lord and Savior, the shining beacon of light that we've had for these past three years, Devin Booker, 
make the All-Star game? Ooh, I was probably higher on this a month ago than what I am right now, just with the health concerns and the, the roster issues with the Suns. So I'm going to say he's in the conversation, but it's just too strong in the West and he misses out. Screw the conversation. Screw everything. Screw the injury. Devin Booker is making the All-Star game. Ah, I'm all for it. Uh, this Suns team needs a bit of positivity around it. So God, we need it so badly, don't we? <laughs> and obviously that's going to mean a kind of big start to the year for Booker to get those early votes. So uh, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. I will go into our next beacon of hope here, Max, with DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. Fill the blank in in this sentence for me. DeAndre Ayton is a top blank center in the NBA by the end of the 18-19 season. <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I've seen people already on Twitter proclaiming it was a top five center off preseason. <laughs> I'm not going there. I, I think he's going to be really good. I've, I've been so encouraged by him. I think he's going to be a top 10 center by uh, season's end. Yep, that's what I had in the blank as well. Uh, who knows how high in that top 10, but I I would confidently say top 10, definitely by the end of the year. I just think he's going to be an absolute monster this year. David, rank the youngins, these youngins, kind of the secondary youngins, in order of importance to the team's future. Elliot Kobo, DeAnthony Melton, Dragon Bender, and Shaquille Harrison. This one's pretty easy for me, I think. I go Melton at the top because I think he's got the best chance of being a backcourt partner to Devin Booker in the future going forward. I've got Ali Okobo second because if he remains on the Suns, I think he was actually really drafted as a six-man, Max. I think that's mm-hmm. his role going forward, particularly when you look at Booker being on the team in the future. Uh, I would say Dragon Bender third. Signs aren't great with him, but upside potential still gets him in that spot over Shaquille Harrison. I agree with your order and two bonus questions for you real quick for your last question. Go for it. At what point during this season do I come in this podcast and proclaim that I would rather have DeAnthony Melton than Josh Jackson or Mikel Bridges? Uh, our Dallas review episode, Max. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to take very long, and that's a, that's a nice promo. We're gonna we're gonna review the Dallas game the morning after. Probably, I'm gonna go to it. David's gonna watch it from Australia. We're going to jump on. We're going to talk about it. But, yeah, it's not going to take long, David. I'm already head over heels for the NFL. <laughs> it might take longer than that. But I, I can almost guarantee you at some point in this season I'm going to proclaim that DeAnthony Melton's the third best prospect on the Suns. <laughs> Question number two. I had a random thought the other day, and I, I posted this on Twitter in a reply to Chris Hansen, our friend. I kind of feel like if, say that, you know, Josh is good in the starting lineup and that and that works out and Booker and him start, don't you think Okobo and Milton could kind of be a really fun second unit backcourt pairing? Definitely. And that's kind of a, a big reason why I discussed Josh maybe moving into the starting lineup because it, it's hard to start either of those guys. Mm-hmm. Let's say Shaq also gets cut, so he doesn't really need minutes. Exactly. Yeah, I think those two guys have very complementary skills. Okobo's a great uh, pick and roll guy from what we've, you know, the little that we've seen and, and the, the the lot that the Suns keep trying to ram down our throats in, in what they're seeing mm-hmm. in practice and things. And, and Melton's just that ultimate hustle guy, as we've discussed. So, yeah, throw those two out with, I guess, TJ Warren's going to be your main, you know, points guy maybe in that lineup. A little bit of shooting out of maybe, I don't know, Bender, uh, Bridges, 
and then you've got Holmes or, or Chandler or someone anchoring the defense. It, it could be a fun little second unit there, Max. Agree. Uh, one last hot take. You mentioned his name, TJ Warren. I've been one of his biggest detractors. I kind of like what I've seen from him, David. I think he looks a little more like he knows how to play basketball this year. And I know it's not like he hasn't improved so much on the three-point shooting, a little bit in the passing, maybe a little bit in the defense, but just something about him. I think he looks better this season. It's easy to bring out his negatives, Max, in terms of the shooting not really looking any better and and the defense not looking great. But he's bought into the six-man role from everything that we've seen. Mm -hmm. And the passing looks a little bit better in Eagles' system. So. We are a podcast that is is trying to focus on the positives more than the negatives here, and TJ's that that in a nutshell. I think there's definitely still some negatives with him there, but you know I'm all in on Igor being the guy that gets the positives out of guys and maybe minimizes the negatives a little bit. And in that role in the second unit, uh, those negatives won't look so bad. But that kind of segues into my last one to end us off here. Very easy one for you, Max. We should probably both get it on record right here, right now. Uh, and do whatever you need to in terms of predicting future moves and stuff, but what's the win-loss total at the end of the year for the Phoenix Suns? David, I've been all over the place with this. I, I Before the preseason started, I was like, I think they could win you know, 33 games. Why not? The middle of the preseason, I was like, this team can't win more than 24 games. Look at the point guards. Now, I'm just... Aiden's look so good. I told you I think Booker's making the All-Star game. I have a lot of faith in him. I think they're probably going to figure something out with the point guards. I like the talent we have with the young guys. I think if it's a giant disaster, they'll probably panic move into a point guard and be better, for better or worse, that'll happen. I'm going to go 30 and 52. I think they're going to slightly beat their 29.5 over under. I'm pretty positive too. I'm going to go maybe slightly higher. I will say that they will win 35 games. Whoa, that's not slightly higher, David, in the West. That's a lot higher. Yep, I'm, I'm all in. That's it for us. I think the conclusion of our longest podcast ever. Thank you if you listened to all of it. You can follow me at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at The Four Point Play on Twitter. You can follow our podcast at 7SOLPod on Twitter. Please, if you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us out. David, thank you. This is a fun one. This was a fun one. Thanks to any new listeners. Sorry if this is the first one that you've listened to. It is a little on the long side, but we had a lot to get through before the season kicks off. As we touched on before, there'll be a much, much shorter episode next after the Dallas game, and then we'll hopefully also bring a a regular episode at the normal time. So that's something to look out for. Hopefully two pods next week, Max. We are, what, five days away from that podcast? The Dallas Mavericks, the Phoenix Suns. Can't wait, David. Basketball so close, Max. Thanks, guys.